from the Diocese of Springfield, Illinois. This is Dive Deep. I'm Andrew Hansen. She is Amber Servany. He is Father Chris House, our Chancellor, the Rector of the Cathedral of Immaculate Conception. So we just took a little promo picture so we can, you know, you guys can see our faces. And Amber, she's like, I had no idea that this was going to be a picture. She didn't like her shirt. <laughs> Father House, um, what, what were you going to change into? No, it doesn't matter. I can change my outfit all day and you won't recognize it. So that's fine. I'd say it. The differences being married, uh, the differences between male and female always just bring a smile <laughs> to my face because only only you, only, only if a female would say, oh, now you're taking the picture. This is the shirt I wore <laughs> for the picture. Uh, well, today we're talking the last four things. It's called the last four things. Mm-hmm. And right before I asked Andrew, can you actually name the last I four things? I can name the last he, four he things. got the gold star. I did, so. yeah. Uh, de- death, judgment, heaven, or hell. Uh, you don't you don't hear a lot of this from the pulpit, I feel like. Um, so this is... Because nobody would come to church. Well, <laughs> well, no, actually, you know, a lot of Catholics say they want to hear about it. But the challenge of people say... We want to hear you preach about this, this, or this. Here's the the challenge is that priests and deacons were called to give sir or we give homilies. A homily is a breaking over the word of the scripture that's actually there that weekend. A sermon is just, you know, you preach on any topic you want. Well, we don't give sermons, we give homilies. So You wish yeah. you had more you, you wish you could do more sermons? Well, if you actually well, sometimes it'd be easier, but yeah, sometimes though your sermon becomes a rant though, if you're not careful. So but <laughs> no, the whole the, the church avails itself every November. When we enter the month of all souls, as we prepare to go then into the holy season of Advent, remembering that not just that Christ came in time, that's the smaller version of Advent, but that Christ will come again in glory. That's actually the main thrust of the holy season. You know, the church avails us of the opportunity to talk about something like the four last things, because at least one Sunday will give us a gospel about judgment and things like that. So it's there. It may not come when you want it to, but it's there. So let's talk about, so this is when you die, um, you go before the face of God. Now there are two kind of judgments that can happen. Right. Um, what are those particular two? Particular in general. And desc- and define those. Well, uh, particular is for all those who die before the second coming. That's so basically everyone. Bas- well, yeah, I mean, they'll come a day though, when people will assume it won't be them and lo and behold, He's going to be coming on the from the east. So, yeah, general is then at the last judgment. Those who are alive when the Lord comes again in glory. And so, if you're alive when the when uh, Jesus comes, purgatory then doesn't exist anymore because that's technically the end of the world, right? We so, so that. then basically yeah. they they are heaven and hell. So, so really that that's a, that's a perk. And that's if, like if, perg- if you're alive because right. if you would have gone to purgatory, well, now you're going straight to heaven. So. Well, and purga- so that's perk why, for them. Well, that's right? why purgatory is not one of the four <laughs> last things. It's not a permanent reality. Even though those who enter into purgatory, it's it's not a permanent reality. It's it's transitioning you into something greater. Can you imagine though, some guy in heaven? He's like, man, I had to spend a thousand years in purgatory. You would have gotten the same, but just because you happened to be alive when Jesus came, you got no purgatory and went straight to heaven. What's up with that? Life's not fair. <laughs> well, if you're in heaven, you won't care. I know, I know, I know. You will not care. All right. So uh, one thing I think, um, you know, this is just my opinion of talking about hell. You know, I know you mentioned you can't, you, you know, as, as a priest, you can't give sermons. So maybe you can't talk about as hell as, as, you, as you'd like. I don't know if, if you want to talk about hell much that, that much. But um, one thing I want to get into is, A, it exists. And I think our society is trending more toward 
you know, if you're, if you're quote a good person, you'll go to some place that's good and hell doesn't really exist. Um, doing some research for this podcast though. Um, there've been a lot of saints, a lot of, um, you know, people who have, who have, have had visions or, um, dreams of hell. Now we always got to take these with a grain of salt, uh, because these are things that we are not, uh, required to believe. These are just, you know, stories that these, these saints passed on. But, um, I want to get some of your guys' thoughts when you hear some of these, these blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich said, uh, no one could behold without trembling. She saw deep groans, cries of despair, uh, might be plainly distinguished even while the doors were tightly closed. I mean, she tried, saw dreadfully, heard dreadful yells. St. Teresa of Avila described it on fire and torn to pieces. She said, I felt fire myself uh, as if inside, inside of me was, uh, was on fire, despair of the greatest torments of all. I hear these quotes and I think sometimes we, I mean, dare I use this word, but the romantic is almost like hell. Hell is this place where maybe it's not as bad as we think it is, you know, but you read these quotes and you hear these, you know, these visions from these saints and you're like, no, no, it is. It's, it's awful. And it is as bad as you can even, even dream. But why is it awful? That's the question. Why is it awful? Is it because, because you saw the face of God and then you rejected him. Is the way I well, look at we wouldn't even know if you actually see. We just don't know. We don't know what happens after. But is yeah. that judgment? You see God. You see everything. You 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 screwed up. Well, we don't we don't necessarily away. know that either. But the whole thing is though. But in hell, the suffering is not about because it's it's blazing hot or it's freezing cold or whatever. But it's that isolation. It is that you made the choice in your earthly life to be turned in on yourself to serve yourself to reverence yourself over God, and so. In death, God allows you to have what you most loved yourself. And so hell, it's not so it's not a physical reality. It's a realm of existence, a plane of existence, but an existence that is beyond the love of God, that is beyond the presence of God. God allows that to happen because that is what a person has desired above all things. That's where the pain of it comes from. Because then the person realizes the true emptiness they've chosen. And that choice is irrevocable. Well, not according to some theologians, but the church does not accept that. That's why we have Origen had this notion. Origen was a, one of the early fathers, never been canonized because he had some dubious opinions, the church would say, about he believed that all things would be redeemed in the end, even the fallen angels, even the devil himself, the apocatastasis in Greek, um, the church says no to that. Uh, Augustine, St. Augustine, you know, great theologian. One of the areas of theology that we would kind of back away from of his was really his notion of predestination, that most everybody was, was going to be damned, but God would choose to save a few. A few were chosen, were destined for heaven, but the rest would go. Now, but the whole notion is, though, but, you know, heaven or hell, either one— it's an irrevocable choice. It, if you end up in hell, that is your eternity. And then our, um, our lady of Fatima showed a vision of hell to the three children. Uh, they described it as this plunged in this fire were demons and souls in human form, like transparent burning embers, all blackened or burnished bronze floating around now raised in the air by flames that issued from within themselves together with great clouds of smoke 
I mean, they were terrified when they saw this vision. And I swear, I remember, I, I thought I read somewhere that basically had, had, you know, it was just, it was a quick moment, you know, it was a quick instant of Mary showing these three children hell. Now, again, you know, this is not something you have to believe. This is, this is, you know, private revelation. Private revelation. So all these, but the whole thing, and that's the whole thing. How, how could one aptly demonstrate you can't and, and in a physical sense what this ultimate separation from God will be like. And so you have these horrific visions, these notions, because it's the only apt way to demonstrate as bad as you think this is an everlasting separation from God is even worse. Well, I was just going to say, when I think about their quotes, I mean, I, I think it was today's gospel actually. Like, so if, even if we don't take their quotes, cause it's not, you know, it, it's, it's today's gospel, right? Um, separation of the, of the wheat. From yeah. The and then, you, you know, the um, grinding and gnashing of teeth <laughs> or something right. like that. I mean, that's a vision for you. And that is, I guess, um, something you can certainly believe in. <laughs> I thought it was also interesting. Mary said a couple, a few other things in Fatima. I'm a big, I'm a big Fatima fan, big Fatima. So I, I follow Fatima very closely. It happened in uh, 1917. Uh, she said, you've seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish the world devotion to my immaculate heart. Um, and what what strikes me about that is, and I try to do this, is people seem, what, what I read from, from that is there's so many people who go to hell because they had no one on earth prayed for them. So it's the, it's the souls of people who had no one to pray for them. So I, at least I try to make an effort in my prayers where I pray for people who no one's praying for them, uh, that they may, you know, turn their ways and, and see God. And this is also Fatima's where the Oh My Jesus prayer came from that we say, say in the rosary. And I also want to bring this up because we, we, discuss, we discussed it in another episode about exorcisms, about the gateways and pornography being one of them. Um, and she said um, that take, um, what am I, I'm going to get, I read my head my quote down there where she said, the sin where people often are in hell the most are sins of the flesh. That's what I'm getting at. She said the sins of the flesh is seems to be is is the most prominent sin where people end up going to hell. And so when I when I read that, I thought of pornography. I thought of our you know the the sexual revolution and the way we treat people in in general and our destruction of human life. Um, and I think that's very eye opening for all of us to remember the care we must we must give to everyone and to treat every human human life in the distinct image and likeness of God. Right. And because it's more than just falling prey to some disordered urge or some disordered natural impulse. It's because what you talked about, though it's the dehumanization of people. That's the gravity of the sin. Pornography is the new slavery because it dehumanizes people. I don't care about who you are or your experience or anything like that. You are a means to an end for me. You are here for my gratification. That is what makes pornography so evil. Why it is so evil? Because it is pure dehumanization, both of the person who's the subject of it and in the end of the person who seeks it out because it reduces us to the most basic animal condition, one who cannot overcome urges natural or otherwise. This is the quote. Jacinta said, the sins which cause the most souls to go to hell are sins of the flesh. So that was very fascinating to, to hear that. And I remember, I think it was Fatima where it, 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 it was just an instant where the three children saw the image of hell and had they 
you know, they talked about had they had a longer vision, they would have died of fright. They would have literally died from fright and had, had Mary not been there. And I think that's just, again, it reinforces this notion that, ah, hell, hell isn't as bad as we think about. No, no, it really is. Um, and along those lines, the last four things, purgatory isn't on the list, so to speak, because we lump that into heaven. Because if we, you know, we believe if you end up going to purgatory, you do go to heaven in the end. But talk about Father House, the importance of praying, praying for these souls. Um, I think that, I think they're, it's one of those things we get caught up in our daily life of, you know, Jesus, please help me. Please help my family who's, you know, has a surgery or please help me get that job. Help my friend get a job. And we forget about our other brothers and sisters who are in purgatory, who have seen God desire to be with him again, but we need to pray for them because they cannot pray for themselves. Well, yeah, it's very important to pray for those in purgatory. One of the challenges is that, we have used very human terms to speak of things that are beyond a human reality. So we're speaking of planes of realms of existence that go beyond the physical world as if purgatory is, you know, kind of like, you know, heaven's, I don't want to say waiting room, but kind of like the holding room or whatever. So purgatory is more about a process than it is about a place, I would argue. It's about that purgation, that process that has to take place. So any soul that dies in God's friendship, but it still has any attachment to sin, has to go through a process of purgation. It makes sense. I mean, when we think about it, I say that this is a big distinction between Catholicism and our Protestant brothers and sisters that, that they always bring up. So I want to bring up their argument. If the God is all loving, you know, all forgiving, he, he died on the cross for our sins. You've, you know, you've, you've led a good life. You've been faithful. Um, where's the just in still continuing that suffering if he has already forgiven my sins and I am truly sorry for them? Right. Well, it's, it's the attachment to sin, not necessarily the sin itself. So the residual effect so when a sin is forgiven, it leaves behind that residual effect. We, we talk about temporal punishment that is done away with through penances, through acts of good work, through prayer, through charity. And then we talk about, of course, indulgences, which is a remission of temporal punishment. It may be partial, it may be temporal, or it could be uh, plenary, which means absolute. So the notion of purgatory, it's, it has nothing to do with denying the mercy of God, with denying God's forgiveness. But we might argue it's from a justice standpoint. So, yes, God has wiped away the sin, but there still is that recompense that has to be made because of it. So, you know, someone commits a crime. They can be forgiven, but the forgiveness is not, does not negate the need for recompense or a restitution. So in essence, that's what happens with we die with this notion of temporal punishment on our souls. And it's not about whether I'm going to be here for a year, a hundred years, a thousand years, but the whole point is wiping that away. And so, you know, those who close their eyes in death and open them in purgatory, I mean, they are saved. They're going to go on to greater things. The point for us to pray for them is for that process of purgation to be finished up so that, because the great pain of purgatory is knowing what you're destined for, of knowing that God is bringing you into the beatific vision, but that that's delayed and you're actually seeing it for what it is. Well, St. Catherine described it as much pain as hell. Um, 
And I think that's to your point, but I think that that's why I, I bring up praying for the souls in purgatory, because I think what they're going through is, you know, is something we, we, we can't even comprehend because it is very much pain because to your point, we've seen the face of God. We know what's coming. We know we're on the path to heaven. And that desire is so, you know, obviously so strong um, that it is tremendously painful. Well, and the challenge too to remember is that all this stuff is you can't go to the catechism and it's not going to answer for you. What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? What will the pain be, the not or not be? None of that is in the catechism. None of that is held as an article of faith. Everything we've been talking about, these are the subject of private revelations. Right. And that's the whole thing. You can believe it. You can choose not to believe it. And whether or not that's going to take place, we don't know. So none of this is the official teaching of the church. What is, though, is the whole notion of why, why does purgatory exist What's the process? What's the point? And what's the end result? And that's the whole thing about living our lives. We shouldn't live our lives in fear of hell. We should live our lives in the hope of heaven, the desire to be with God, not to avoid having to be stuck with the devil forever. I think every once in a while, though, having a little slap across the face reality of hell's there and here's what can is well, good for all of us. And though. that's why the church accepts two different types of contrition. You have perfect contrition and imperfect contrition. Perfect contrition is, I'm sorry because I have offended God. Imperfect contrition is, I'm sorry because I don't want to go to hell. The church accepts both, <laughs> but that's imperfect. Perfect is, you know, I'm sorry for love of God and for having offended him. I think the one thing um, when I think about purgatory um, is that it sometimes starts to feel like some kind of formula. Do this many uh, rosaries, do this, like pray for people how much? Every day, every hour, every minute, yeah. like what? And I and I think it can get easily caught up in this. What What's the formula like to get me out of there? And we used the to human talk. form. I think that's what you, you know, well, we're, we're wrapped in our human well, minds of that. Because we're trying to to speak in human terms of something that can't be spoken of under heaven adequately. That was the common language at one time. We spoke about purgatory in terms of days and years. So indulgences would grant you either a plenary one was the full remission of temporal punishment, or if you said this prayer or did this novena, you got X amount of days or X amount of years. So ironically in seminary, we never discussed any of that. So um, it's just kind of an evolution in, in Catholic piety. I mean, the, the core mystery remains. I mean, we believe as much in heaven, hell, and purgatory as we always have, and we teach that, at least we should be. But it's probably become more mysterious to us, actually, in how all these things will take place. So, okay. Oh, go ahead, Gamer. Um, well, I was, I was just reading about the um, 15 things that the rosary does. And one, the, like one of the top ones was- Real gets, BuzzFeed or something? Gets, They're always yeah, about something. the top 15, the top 20. I think it's Catholic 30 answers. things you should, have, you should do, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was time to get you out of purgatory. Um, and then I started thinking, well, what about our Protestant brothers and sisters? They're not saying the rosary. Are they amping up their time in purgatory? Are they even going to purgatory because they don't believe in purgatory? What, what is that for them? Like, do we believe that everyone's in this place and we're, and then the Catholics are praying, <laughs> praying everybody out of it? I always, I always answer that question by, we don't know the way God judges. That's very true. That and is very true. We don't know what's purely in those people's hearts. What, what, the, what have they been exposed to? What have they not been exposed to? So I think all we can do is just, you know, continue to pray for them and continue to pray that we're all in heaven together, united as one under God's, you know, under God's holy will. I, mean, I don't think it's going to be one of those things where in death, all of a sudden, uh, 
a non-Catholic Christian sees the Catholics over in purgatory and they're on their good heavens, like, well, thank goodness I was not a Catholic. So it won't be that. It's not like there's going to be a separate standard. But, you know, See I you mean, later, guys. Uh, the fact of the matter is just, you know, sometimes we just have to admit we don't know how all these things are going to play out. We believe this is the reality. We believe, I mean, this has been taught to us through scripture and tradition, which together make the deposit of the faith. And this has been handed down for centuries, from generation to generation. And so guided by the Holy Spirit, we have come to a better understanding of these things. We don't have the full comprehension of it. And that's only going to happen on the other side of heaven, God willing for all of us. They're part of what the church suffering, there's what, there's three, the church suffering, the church militant, which is us here on earth, and then the church triumphant, right. those in heaven. Um, so those in purgatory cannot pray for themselves, but they can pray for us. We can pray for the souls in purgatory. Church triumphant can pray for both purgatory and us. I find that all very fascinating. I very find it very fascinating that, that God decided, you go to purgatory, you can't pray for yourself. I'd love to know that answer. So speaking of those answers, let's talk about heaven. So we've gone hell, hell, purgatory, heaven. When I think of heaven, I don't know how, how, how you guys think of heaven, but there's always, and this is my human mind, Father House, so bear with me. There's two things that I always think about. When I get to heaven, I want to play the greatest golf course mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> it's going to be in pristine shape. I'm going to shoot 18 because I'm going to get a hole in one on every hole, but it's, I'm going to play Augusta national, but it's going to be even better. And then the other thing is, you know, we always lose those things throughout our life where you're like, I could have sworn I put that thing on that cabin or whatever. And now it's gone. Where did it go? And then you never find it again. I want to know the answers to all those places that I miss. I miss it. I'm like, I could have sworn it was there. St. Anthony didn't come through for me that time. So what happened? But I have a feeling that's not what heaven is. (laughs) Ultimately, you don't know. Now, I'd be willing to venture that it's going to be nothing of what you want it to be in that respect. Yeah, I'm not, that's, I'm that's not, not guessing, a bad thing. It's I'm not, not guessing thing. golf's going to be up there. You know, one time someone, I heard somebody make the comment, well, heaven will be whatever God wants, or heaven will be whatever you want it to be, because God will ultimately want you to be happy. I'm like, no. And that that that's just a very bad theology. You know, heaven will be total relationship with the Lord with nothing getting in the way, with the effects and divisions of sin out of there. It's just going to be this awesome being literally in the beatific vision forever. That's where ultimate joy, ultimate love, ultimate happiness, ultimate peace. That's where all that will be achieved. How exactly that will look, we don't know. It doesn't matter. If we want to be with God forever, it doesn't matter what how that will play out. If the end result is life with him and complete fulfillment with him, that's it. That's all that matters. How how that will look, that's up to God. That's not my prerogative. Amber, what's your vision of heaven? Um, I guess I haven't given it much thought. Which just is, Notre Dame just, football, Notre Dame always uh, winning. Yeah, much. Notre Dame always winning for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, but does it say somewhere in the Bible that there's rooms in heaven? Or levels? Or levels? It talks about many man and my father's house are many dwelling places in John's gospel. Jesus says that the last discourse. Basically, there's, I thought, I thought there's the church taught there are no, you're you know, in heaven, you're in heaven. This is in Dante. So the different levels of, of, of paradise and all that. No, I mean, the whole point, you know, there's room for everybody in there. And this is what I find fascinating, this whole debate about heaven and hell. And I've noticed this, especially now with the dawn or with, with social media and these debates and disputes that happen, that there is a group out there it seems like they are not happy without the notion that there has got to be a good amount of people burning in hell. 
that it's just, I'm not content if someone's not suffering. There truly is a group out there that's pushing that. At the same time, there seems to be a group that also hates the idea of a big heaven. They want heaven to be this exclusive club that only so many get into. But if we actually read the scriptures, the word of God, I mean, even uh, separate from the tradition, which we can't, but just look at the word of God itself. What does Paul talk about throughout his writings? Pray that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul constantly preaches that. Pray that all be saved. Will all be saved? That's up to God. And not just up to God, actually, it's up to us whether or not we cooperate with that grace. I mean, God is not going to override our free will, ultimately. We don't teach that. So, and that's one of the, this notion, that the, the question that keeps bubbling up occasion on social media about, you know, idea, is there anybody in hell? Well, the church teaches there's a hell. Don't we know it's there's a, one person the, um, the, in, the, in the, the Bible, the guy who rejected giving food to the beggar? Well, that's a parable. Maybe it was real. No. <laughs> Maybe angels dance on pinheads, but that's not what we're here to discuss right now. So, but that's the whole notion that I mean, so that God desires all of us to have an everlasting relationship, everlasting life with him. The church does not teach that anybody is in hell. It teaches there are people in heaven. That's why we have the canonized saints. Are there people in hell? My personal opinion, unfortunately, I'm, I'm sure there probably are. I, I would guess there probably are. The church has never made a, a statement on that. But, I mean, heaven is what we hope for. And it shouldn't be just for ourselves, but for everybody. The whole point, you know, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, pray for those who don't know the love of God. Pray for those who are foolishly rejecting his love on a daily basis. Pray that they come to know the error of their ways so that all of us can be gathered by him by his love into the kingdom. That's what God's ultimate desire is. He doesn't want to lose one of us. He won't make us love him, but he wants us to love him. I think that's uh, what you said is what popped in my head is I remember reading or hearing, of course, we don't know what heaven looks like. Uh, we've, we've put that in context, but if you are in heaven and let's say one of your loved ones, unfortunately is in hell. If you, when you're in heaven, God will make, make you know, make known to you that that person never even existed. So it's like that person didn't exist. Because obviously if you're in heaven, you, 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 there's no suffering. So if you, in, your, in our human minds, well, I love my mom. Let's you know, pretend your mom's in hell, unfortunately. Um, well, clearly I would be upset or I'd be sad because my mom's in hell, but God will make it like your mom actually never, you, you didn't even know who your mom was. Well, which, which makes, I mean, that's, so that's just kind of bizarre. But I, I mean, I who like, told you that? I remember hearing it or reading <laughs> it somewhere. I, know, I, I feel like that makes sense though. Because if, if I love someone and I'm not with that person. So God will sanitize your memories for you. Yes. Now we got like a, this is like but, a Santa Claus Jesus. It but, sounds. But, I like it. <laughs> That's everybody wants a God who'll give them whatever they want. No, God will give us what we need. But anyways. So but, I, but I feel like if you, you know, if you love someone and you found out they were in hell, wouldn't that make, and you were in heaven, wouldn't that make you feel, wouldn't that you be bummed? Well, well could you say the same thing about um, being married in heaven? Like I think about my grandparents who are married for 60 some years and and my grandpa awaits to you know, see my grandma I don't grandma think you're again. married in heaven. But, but why not? not? I mean, that for him, because like, he teach waits it to happen. Because what? Because we teach it marriage ends. So that's the one thing that we Because the ultimate relationship (laughs) is with God. That's the relationship. That's the focus is God, not each other. Will we be in communion with each other? Yes. Will the bond of love be there? Yes. But it's that love that that is directed towards and emanates from 
God. So it's like a technicality is what you're saying. So the bond of marriage is just not there, but like what you would, your loving spouse that you're going to see. But that love is purified. That love is brought to its fullest potential. And any love that is real and true is of God. So God is the focus. You know, getting back to what you said a second ago about this, you know, your your very uh, interesting notion of God sanitizing memories. Um, you don't think that see, this is why this is why these are, things should be discussed over cocktails. You know, it's always it's probably half or the time where it comes from one of the two. Um, you know, Thomas Aquinas, Saint Thomas Aquinas, I believe, talked about how you know part of the pleasure of being in heaven is seeing other souls tormented in hell because it's a matter of justice. So now that's something that the church probably would be like, well, St. Thomas, we like, you've done some marvelous things here. We may just put this one aside. But, but there, I mean, there's, this is the thing about this topic. There are so many. It's fun to talk about. It's interesting. Um, Yeah. I think that notion makes sense, but yeah, it may not be the case. I, I, when you go back to marriage, I think, I don't know. I mean, obviously we can only just, you know, Think about it. We don't know for sure. I think you, you'll you'll see your spouse. You know you were married, but I feel like yeah, that bond of marriage is now is now no more because the father house's point. The personal bond will be there because ideally the the goal of husband and wife is to help the other get, get to, to heaven. heaven. Yeah. Right. So it's not like uh, it's never happened or that. I mean, so I'm, I I guess depends on how your marriage was. I think it also I mean, be cool <laughs> in heaven. You know everyone's name and you you have like psych. I wonder if you know if like you saw like Elvis. If you'd be like, oh my gosh, is you. Elvis, you know, you, now so that like, would be cool. And you see all the celebrities. If you have kind of this, you know, minds, Oh my gosh, it's you. President Lincoln, you're here. Are you going to be more concerned about Elvis what the- or the living God? <laughs> because if it's, I mean, he, the might, wrong be, answer, he Andrew, might be up there. You may not be seeing either of them. <laughs> I think God in his holiness understands that the, obviously he's human. He knows, he knows what we're going through. Whoa, whoa, like, whoa, whoa. Could, That's a heresy. Jesus human. He, he's not, human and divine. Well, he has a human nature, not a human though. Not a human. He's a divine person well, with a human nature. What I'm getting at is, is he, see, he, Andrew, he understands oh, our feelings. See, you start talking and you just go down the notions. wrong road. Yeah, you, yeah, that's a, you got me in a technicality there. Wow. You know what I was getting at. <laughs> Jesus understands the way human minds think and how we get all these. He does. I was following you, Andrew. Therefore, he understands our need for grace Lay and redemption. people versus clergy right. is happening right Whoa, now. Whoa, here we go. I'm going to get on the bandwagon, why don't you there? Catholic Twitter's calling, Andrew. You better go. I don't follow Catholic Twitter. Oh, you're missing out. Probably better off. So there's some interesting characters there, though. There Maybe I should get on it then and, and, and spout these things out there. Is that what oh. you're saying? Mm-hmm. Um the, I want to conclude with this, though. So when we're talking about the last four things, I think it's important, though, we hear it in the gospel that you know nor the hour nor the day. Uh, so so the importance, Father, of spelling it all out, of, you know, of confession, of the sacraments, so you are prepared when Judgment Day comes. Every day, our lives should be lived in a way that we have an eye to the honor of God. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, everything should be directed toward the Lord. We have to make the choice for Christ. Each and every day is my life reflecting his goodness, his love, his glory, and his honor. We're not always going to do that perfectly, and he knows that. That's why he gives us grace. That's why he extends to us his mercy. But we have to make the conscious choice each day for Christ because just as you said, we know not the hour nor the day. So live today as if this is the day when the Lord's going to call you before the judgment seat. Last four things. Thank you, Father House. Amber, this has been Dive Deep. You want more podcasts? Go to dio.org slash podcasts. Lots more there to check out. We'll see you next time.